Left. Right. I don't know why we do it to ourselves, but we tend to pick topics that will piss off 50% of the people that listen to us. So, if you're one of those, and uh, there are two of you that listen to us, uh, I'm sorry if uh, this topic turns you off, but we do do our best to introduce the topic, introduce both sides of it, and have a civil discussion. So, listen on, enjoy, let me know what you think in the comments. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Right, we are live. This is Sip Talk episode. <laughs> there goes the cat. This is Sip Talk episode two hundred and twenty-one. My name is Justin DiGiulio, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philanderer, philosopher, philatelist. Uh, he's, he's a man of many PHs, and he's got a cat running around the background of, uh, of his video frame. So, if you're watching us live on video, you will see the cat darting. Yeah, just make corner. peace with it. It's not going to be her last appearance. Corner to corner of the room. <clears throat> Today we have a pretty interesting topic. We are, well, I don't even, you know, the topic is James doing his absolute best to just get me banned off of every social media platform. So I'm going to do my best to direct conversation to where I believe it, it is safest. Um, and uh, we may end up just talking about uh, shower thoughts once again. Uh, because it or a safer be, topic like the Jews, it, it it proves to be too controversial. But it really feels to me right now like everything that's going on in the news, conversation all over the place is it's just crazy controversial. It's right wing or left wing. So here's the topic. Um, we're going to talk briefly a little bit more about trans, and then we're going to talk about fat acceptance. And we'll see where these two things take us. So I want to address the uh, image that was sent to us. So for those of you who can't see what we... Really quick, right. <clears throat> before we get to that, right. I want to get your thoughts on the news story of the last week. The billionaires dying in a rickety sub visiting the Titanic. Well, that is, that is also on our agenda. So hit me with it. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's the news that just hit this afternoon. These guys went to go observe the titanic in a mini submarine underwater and we lost touch with them i don't know roughly like 40 minutes after uh, after they departed something along those lines so the titanic is over 12,000 feet below the ocean surface these guys went down to the sub what what exactly is it that you you wanted my opinion on? Uh, i don't know i just want first of all i'm sure you've seen the pictures of the sub uh, I have. Would you get into it? So, here's the thing. Two things, and I, I'll give you. I'll give you that answer in a second. Uh, look, I'm not. Uh, the issue is you can't feel less bad for these people because they had loads of money. Okay, that's and and I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, you know, fuck those guys. They they deserve it. They're rich. That's not. That's the being rich isn't doesn't put you in a different category of deserving. However, it does enable you to do more things than other people can do. 
And there are things that, and this is to answer your question, things that I just wouldn't do. I wouldn't say, you know what? I'm feeling a little bored. I think what I'm going to do today is get on an airplane and jump off. Or, you know, let me... Well, that's skydiving. That's skydiving. Fair enough. Yeah. Let me... You know what I want to do is is do some... Uh, some frog suit jumping where you jump out of a plane and you, you sail down the frog suit and pull the parachute. Uh, bungee jumping, not on my, not on my agenda. The kind of high risk things are not really like alluring to me. Now this to me, it wouldn't make sense to like climbing Mount Everest, probably like I'd like to go on a nice hike, a challenging hike, but a, a hike that many people die trying to do who are in some of the best shape in the world not really something I'd want to engage in. So the idea of saying, you know what, let's go 12,000 feet below the surface, to me, not, not something that would ever really appear on my agenda. Are you following me there? Um, a little bit. Uh, I think, first of all, the level of danger of these people, uh, first of all, let's say hi to Jorge Barrios and Lisa. Thanks uh, for joining us. If you guys want um i'm starting a uh ocean ocean exploration company um i've got a garbage can in my garage that i'm going to put some tin foil on and then uh with better, a little video game joints. you better duct tape the joints pretty well oh i got some super glue don't worry um, um but all right so in terms of danger like the thing about the sub versus like bungee jumping or skydiving is like if you go to any like skydiving school or like skydiving place they're going to be like licensed and insured and there's safety inspections and if there aren't don't fucking go there like <laughs> um but with this sub it was like something that they just kind of made and like they couldn't get it to pass safety inspections so they just had people sign waivers saying we don't care about our safety and so like, it's hard to feel bad for these people, not because they're rich, but because they made a wildly stupid like decision. Well, look, I you know I imagine sitting underground, unconnected, stuck in a submarine that's running out of oxygen. But that's not what happened. That's what we all believed. That was the best case scenario. That for the last four days they were incommunicado, and, and they could be rescued, and they were running out of oxygen. What it appears has happened today is they found debris that they, it sounds like they have identified to be parts of that mini sub. And when you are underwater, you have a great deal of pressure pushing down on you. The deeper you go, the greater the pressure is, which is why a machine that's going to go this deep needs to be constructed to withstand that pressure. And as you just said, this wasn't a certified vessel. It was something they made and signed off on that they were willing to take the risk. Unfortunately, at a certain point underwater, the vessel imploded. Now, I can only hope that it was a very fast implosion. It would have been. Like, it, 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 something depending, on deep, depending on how deep they were, but I, I believe that, that they were deep enough that it probably would have happened very quickly. Although, you don't know that. If something failed, there could have been a very slow failure. Who, I think it's very unlikely, but who knows? Uh, most likely they died before they even knew what happened. So, and, and that's, that's probably exactly what happened. I think it's, I think the, the, the reason why you're seeing this schadenfreude is because like, there's this kind of tale 
of rich people being smarter than everybody else, and that's the reason why they're rich. And so when you see rich people make really stupid decisions, you the, the people that aren't rich just like, see, they're they're not any smarter than anybody else. They can do. In fact, they're dumber than us. <laughs> uh, that's I think that's kind of at the core of it is all these people saying haha billionaires wasted $250,000 to commit an elaborate suicide yeah you know I do I do feel bad for them and especially their families but uh, but it was it was a public, life insurance it, it, was okay. a, it was a public just no they're not okay just because you get money doesn't mean you're okay right? um, but it, it just seems like a public display of, of stupidity at a at a reasonably high cost, although not so much for them. Uh, and it's a shame. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the current news as of today. Should we move on to the more controversial uh, image? I can throw it on the screen here. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So this was sent to us uh, a little while ago. Let me just share the window. And for those of you who are listening to us audio only, I will describe the picture to you. It depicts a woman with blonde hair who's parked her motorcycle. She's dressed in a black motorcycle outfit, and she's helping change the tire of another fully bearded woman who's dressed up like a Barbie doll in a pink car with a bow tied around the antenna and a pocketbook-sized dog in the backseat of the car. Effectively saying, well, James, how would you describe this photo? Uh, this image it's it's a it's a sketch i mean my interpretation of it or do you want me to describe it just the way you just described it because like well, I, I described it you're not changing that but but what what's what's alarming here what why would somebody send send this photo and and what's the question about it i don't understand the point that it's trying to make because okay is it trying to say like it, it, it's it's a bunch of confusing messages because like is it saying that trans people are less than other people because they don't know how to change a tire is it women don't know how to work on cars but you've got a woman changing the tire for another woman it like i just i don't think that i don't understand the point that it's trying to make it does like no i think i think the point that it's trying to make is what you're is a scenario that you would not have seen 10 or 15 or even five years ago. And the interpretation of it is whether you're pro-trans or, or anti-trans. Uh, but what my interpretation was, this is a scenario you wouldn't have seen 10 years ago. And I think a similar image of a woman on a motorcycle helping a man driving a two-door mini car change his tire would be just as telling of the times that there are a lot of men that have no idea how to change the tire of a car. Now, the, it's confusing because you do have a, uh, so, and this is where it's confusing because I'm not saying, I, I'm not even sure how to say it. You have a woman who is a man dressed up as a woman. Uh, and, th and that's where it just gets confusing because somebody in my position addressing this person would say, do you want to be called she because you're wearing all pink? Or do you want to be called he because you are clearly a man. You have a full beard and mustache, um, but you're wearing ladies' clothes. So for me, that's where it gets a little confusing, and 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 that's kind of where my attention was drawn to because that's kind of what people are struggling with these days. I feel like not knowing in scenarios like this what to say or do. Well, it's actually really easy, and you already 
kind of nailed it, which is just ask. It's it's, but it also feels very strange, and I don't think that uh, I'm going to close this. Hopefully, uh, it brings us right back on camera. It feels like a very strange time to be in, and and I'm not saying, and I want you to listen to me carefully, especially if you're listening to this podcast. I'm not saying that I'm against it. What I'm saying is it's weird. So allow me to be uncomfortable with something new that I'm not familiar with, and let it work itself out. That's all. Instead, we get shut down from TikTok and Instagram, uh, you know, for even having conversations about this. Just like when we spoke about abortion and people were commenting, men have no right to have a conversation about abortion. That, to me, doesn't make any sense. I think and the reason we do this podcast is so that we have a platform to articulate our thoughts. You tend to be much more liberal than I am on most subjects, but it's a platform. I think we're pretty close on abortion, though. I think, yeah, abortion, I think, is, is, is definitely one. And I think to, to a, a degree, we're in the same realm on, on trans. It's just you, you've kind of committed to, uh, the, the, in my opinion, you've committed to the very woke uh, uh, comprehension of trans and acceptance of trans. And I'm saying it's still kind of being worked out, and it's strange. I, I'm okay with... with- with your position of saying it's still being worked out and we just, we, we, we need to just kind of let things play out. I don't have an issue with that because that's not shutting down a conversation and that's not diminishing other people's choices. And I'm also saying that it's perfectly reasonable when, when you see a person of any type that kind of dresses two standard deviations out from what most people wear. Like it's unavoidable to have a reaction to it because it's not something you see very often. Well, you know, I was, I was, I was walking from the train to my car today and I had, and it's actually, I feel like it's been all week and I wonder if there's a convention or a concert or something going on where there's kind of like a lot of men with, with black and white facial makeup on and dog collars and, and same thing for women and it's, I'm, I'm wondering if like Kiss like, concert, it, it, it almost felt like that, but, but different. Uh, and I don't know, it, it just like a guy wearing a skirt and a dog collar, but not like rad, like, like, uh, like, not like punk rock dog collar. Yeah. Not, yeah. Yeah. Punk rock dog collar, but there's almost like a sexualized element to it. I don't know. I, oh I'm yeah. Sure there's a whole community. Yeah. But just seeing several people this week again, but noticing yeah that these are you know two standard deviations away from what you commonly see and just remarking on it i you know honestly i wouldn't have thought twice about it if you hadn't just brought up the that comment about seeing people dressed out of the ordinary i I guess where i draw the line is where people say like you shouldn't be doing that in public like who cares like well i mean that's that's a whole nother conversation about what should be accepted in public and what shouldn't be accepted in public. I walked through Times Square on Tuesday, and I saw two different uh, groups. There were uh, two pairs of women that, from my what I could see, they weren't wearing anything except body paint. <laughs> um, and I was just literally walking down the street, and I, I thought to myself, like, the naked cowboy wore underwear. <laughs> you know, like, this is a bit more extreme. And, and, and where do you draw? I mean, I thought it was great don't get me wrong but but just, uh, you know i don't necessarily know that that's wildly uh, depends on the level of attractiveness of the women wearing body paint uh 
Well, I mean, it's just, it's like if you walk into a, a bookstore and there's a bunch of porno mags, like, right up front with, without the covers being censored. It's just like, you know, should that should that be here or not? Because effectively, it's the same thing. We're talking about naked women with body paint and porno mags. Yeah. So, well, and this country just has this weird hang-up about nudity, where well, if you go to Europe, like... All the public television channels have nudity on them. It's just like people like it's no big deal. It's a human body. Who cares? It's well, it's our whole Puritan like, it, yeah. foundations where like you have to have this modesty and and nudity and prurient sexual content must be banned. And yeah, that's just the religious extremism of the founding of this country. Because who are we founded by? The, the Puritans, they were too extreme for the religion, for the religious people of England, they were too extreme. Where did they go? Fucking here. <laughs> versus, uh, yeah, yeah, no, versus Australia, which... Yeah, got yeah. the convicts, and, yeah. and they turned out all right. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> all right, I want to... Uh, Hold on, S Simone asks, what's strange about being trans? I mean, honestly, look, I, I live in New York City, and I, I think there's... Because I, I actually, as I, we were talking about it, I realized I didn't really explain my perspective. There's nothing strange about being trans. It, what is strange is not being normal. And, and that's, that's where it gets confusing, right? Because we want to be accepting, but also something that kind of stops you in your tracks. Uh, you know, like I was walking across an intersection in Times Square and I literally like almost paused. And I was like, okay, wait, so they're wearing literally nothing. It's just paint. I was like, is that, is that allowed? Um, but it, it, it made you think twice. Now, most trans people are just interested in transitioning and not showcasing their sexuality or their transition or, uh, you know, that's it. And some people, and, and what I think we're seeing more of, and this might be what's getting more attention is people who want to exist sort of in between, like along the spectrum, not on one end of the spectrum or the other. And I think that's where, that's where the word they comes into play. And, and not, again, not that there's anything wrong with it, but it can be a little confusing for those of us who are on either end of the spectrum. Well, and I think that's where, like, what's so strange about being trans? The, the answer from a, from an aesthetic perspective is like, especially someone who's in the middle of transitioning one way or the other is part of the transition is that they're going to start kind of showing physical features of both sexes at the same time. So you could have someone that has breasts and a beard, and that's just not something you see very often. And so it's it, it can be strange to look at you. You're like, this doesn't make sense. So, and what Rosh said was saying uh, being normal or not being normal is controversial. You shouldn't say not being normal, but... I think most people commonly understand what I mean by normal. And what well, I mean is within that standard deviation. Well, and statistically, statistically, the occurrence of trans, transgender people is about 0.3%, which is almost dead on three standard deviations out. So that's not normal. Like, now, there's a difference between that's not normal and saying that's not right. Yeah, and I, I think that's very, yeah, we're not saying that's not right. And I think anyone can agree that it's not normal. And, and we're not saying not to normalize it, but, uh, you know, and we're, but we're certainly not saying that it's not right. Well, well said. Um, and then we have from uh, Elizabeth saying, we're living in a time where we can't be Where us. we can be us. 
Are we, oh, okay, all right, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I want to move on to our main topic, which uh, which I mentioned it right off the bat. Are you are you comfortable moving on? Have you said what you feel like we need to say about that image? And um, yeah, real quick, Elizabeth says nobody is normal, and I think that's actually correct. Is like if you take the, an entire spectrum of like if you measure every aspect of a person, their personality, their psyche, like their psychological profile, their body and like all the health conditions that they have statistically it's almost certain that they're going to have one rare form of something of something yeah not everybody's going to land on the 50th percentile of every metric okay yes but when you take the averages Mm -hmm. you know in certain respects one respect or another respect somebody could be normal or let's replace the word normal with average yeah Um, so we want to talk about, I mean, do, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but we're going to talk about <laughs> fat acceptance. And you want, you and want to do look, an over under for how long it takes for us to get banned on this one? I hope we don't get banned because it's a conversation that we're just not having. And a great opportunity we had uh, to talk about uh, health issues with being overweight was coronavirus. Yet we didn't talk about how coronavirus significantly affected people who were overweight or elderly at a much greater rate than anyone else in the population. Um, also smokers, well, which smoke- is not shocking. Um, but but we, didn't, we didn't take the opportunity to talk about weight and health risks and its effect on our health and that it did put people in a much higher category uh, for being affected uh, almost at a deadly rate by coronavirus. Um, Rosh said he'd like to say that he's incredibly proud of the way that we handled that conversation about trans. I'd like to thank him. I don't think it was difficult for us to handle it that way, but I think we did handle it well. Uh, and so far, we, we haven't gotten kicked off, so that's good. Um, so I send Setting you, records here. We're at 22 minutes. So I was, I just pub, we just uh, released three uh, of our recent episodes of Sip Talk on YouTube and Spotify and Apple Music today. And when I was creating the episode for Shower Thoughts, which was two episodes ago. Uh, or no, it was the last episode, right? Episode 220? Mm, maybe know. two episodes ago. Maybe it was 219. Um, I just Googled Shower Thoughts to see what types of images Google would give me. And what it did was it just gave me a bunch of actual pictures of text of people's shower thoughts. But the first one read, and again, Shower Thoughts are those profound ideas that hit you in the shower. And then people send them to Reddit, and this is what you get. But the first one on the list, telling a dangerously overweight person not to lose weight because they're beautiful is like telling an alcoholic not to stop drinking because they're fun. And I was like, oh, shit, that's actually pretty accurate. Uh, And again, they said dangerously overweight. So we're not talking about pudgy people. We're not talking about people that are a little overweight. We're talking about people that are, and again, the word was dangerously overweight, danger to themselves, not danger in bumping into somebody else and knocking them over, but a a danger health-wise to themselves. And we don't have conversations about these things. And I thought that may not be a bad idea to have a conversation. Then, James, you sent me an article who was someone who is pro-fat, effectively. Uh, I mean... Maybe it's hard to like, I don't want to pin them down into one perspective, but they say some things that I vehemently disagree with. So 
the title of the article oh, it was on NPR's Fresh Air was Diet Culture Can Hurt Kids. This author advises parents to reclaim the word fat. And it, uh, it's with the journalist Virginia Soul Smith, the creator of the podcast Burnt Toast, among other publications. Uh, and I've highlighted, James, do you have the uh, our shared spreadsheet in front of you? If not, now may be a good time to bring it up. I've highlighted a couple of points that she made in this article, and I thought we could kind of discuss them because, again, we don't want to fat shame anyone, but I do think that having a conversation about health is not a bad idea, only because it's it's really not happening anywhere do you know anyone who's and i think it's 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 well, because people are afraid of and this is why it's tricky territory for us of being shut down or or, or having people kind of try to cancel them or or argue with them about this topic. here's the issue is the people on the fat acceptance side have done a much better job of controlling the narrative than people that are going to be well on my side um where like Criticizing people for for their body weight is now it, it's always kind of been taboo, but now it's even worse. Where you really can't make comments about someone's weight at all, even if you're trying to point out, like, "Hey, losing weight would improve your health." Like, I'm not, I don't even want to get into like like the aesthetics of it. I don't even want to have the argument about like big can be beautiful, like because I'm going to get in trouble if I talk. Well, you are you, but from your perspective, and I'll share that. Uh, your perspective is that you prefer a very thin woman. That's your perspective. There's some men that prefer a very large woman, and then there's some men that are indiscriminate, and also, by the way, vice versa. Some women prefer large guys. Some women prefer skinny guys, and some women have. No preference. They prefer personality or money or whatever the case yeah. may be. So, you know what my issue is? Is uh, like I don't have a problem. With, like I, I have this discussion with some of my guy friends where they're like, "Do you think that she's hot?" I'm like, "No," and like, but I don't care. Like, if you think she's attractive, I'm not the one who like. I don't need to be attracted to her for you. Well, also, and, I don't have every person. So the attractive aspect isn't really something we're going to get into, but. Nobody's required to be attracted to everyone else, <laughs> regardless of what well, they look So I agree with you, but the problem is, like, the fat acceptance movement on the extreme fringes of it feel that, like, if if you, like me, say, I wouldn't date somebody that's overweight, the fat acceptance movement is saying, you're being discriminatory. Well, the same thing goes for the trans argument. That's, you know, and that's, and that's you know... The, well, the, yeah, the trans, yeah, I've had, I've had people in the BLT community say you're being discriminatory because you say you wouldn't date a trans woman. And I say, screw off. But, but <laughs> that's okay. So that's where we stand. So can, can we, can we talk about some of the points of this article? So to lead, yeah, let's do it. To lead with, she says that most parents have had this situation where their child points to a very obese person and says, dad, Look at them. They're so fat. Now, this it's funny that she mentioned this because this actually happened to me when I was a kid. And, uh, according to my mom, this guy chased me around uh, the store. Well, I mean, <laughs> luckily for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably got out of breath pretty quick. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you can you generally, but but the the issue is that kids don't have a filter, and it's nope. how parents deal with that situation. Now, the again, this is seeing something that is abnormal. Now, obviously, that was the '80s. Okay, this is twenty the 2020s, where there are, it, it, and for the last several decades, there has been a much greater increase in population of people that are overweight. So it is much more common. However. It is still a minority. Uh, I think it's a minority, at least, of people who are, are very overweight. So um, it, it basically splits almost perfectly by thirds, where about a third of the population is what's considered normal weight, about a third of the population is overweight, and about a third of the population is obese. So uh, what the author says is parents shouldn't tell their kids, don't say that, that's wrong, don't call them fat. What the parents should say is bodies come in all different shapes and sizes. And that's and somewhat true. I, well, they don't necessarily come in all different shapes and sizes. They generally come in the same shape and size, and then they grow into larger people depending on how active they are and how many calories they intake with the I mean, there are, there, there's of, genetic components for for things like height and, and and like muscle mass and stuff like that where like if you if you've got the genetics and you in your five foot three there's not really much you can do to change your height short of having really painful surgery okay <sighs> I, I think just saying bodies come in all different shapes and sizes may not be the biggest take-home lesson. Uh, no, it I think is. there might be a conversation to be had. There might, and again, this, it depends on if you're dealing with a four-year-old or a twelve-year-old. But most likely, you're dealing with a four-year-old where the conversation can't go that in. No, in depth. but I, I actually think like like telling parents not to say to the kid, "Don't say that. That's wrong." I think that's actually okay. In saying like, and and bodies come in all shapes and sizes is also somewhat true. But like, you have to recognize that, like, at a certain level, and the science is kind of out in terms of like, at what point of being overweight does it become a health risk? Because some science says like, even being mildly overweight is pretty bad, and other science says being mildly overweight is fine, and then like where do you draw the line of like how overweight do you have to be for there to be a scientific consensus of this is bad for your health? You're going to get a bunch of different answers. If you look at the research. So, but no, so you disagree with her saying that it's wrong to say, don't say that that's wrong. You think parents should say, don't say that that's wrong. No, I actually, I think, no, I'm saying that like her saying, like that the parents shouldn't say don't say that that's wrong to the kid i'm okay with that like you could like letting a kid say look how fat that person is like just saying just saying to the kid don't say that probably isn't the best but you could use it as a time to talk to the kid about how do you become fat and depending no, on I the age of the kid i think you're dealing, say, dealing hey, with a 4 year old dealing with a 4 year old the conversation that should happen is we, we don't want to make people uncomfortable and you shouldn't point and, and say things about other people. I think that would yeah. be the conversation, you know, sure. not necessarily they're wrong to draw attention. Um, I don't think yeah. that's so, and, and so look, like, the next point. You make, okay, go ahead. 
the next point that she makes is uh, that that parents are being given a hard time because people are saying that a child's body size is the parent's fault. And what she's saying is that a child's body is 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 not the parent's fault. And I would say that parents generally have the biggest role in the body size of their children. I'm not talking about for, short for or tall, reasons. but I'm talking about what, what I mean, I'm talking about a child being overweight and you two kids that were fed pasta that they would only eat if they could see the butter. Yeah, they, it, it, it had to have so overweight. much butter in it that by the time the, the father stopped adding butter, the pasta had cooled to the point where the butter wouldn't melt. Effectively, yeah, they wanted to see the butter. And I think that that was more the, the in control of the father than this person would like to say. You can't just keep adding butter because the kid wants more butter. Well, I don't understand how you can possibly make the argument that a child's size is not the parent's fault. And I'm going to give you an opposite example. Instead of the kid being really, really fat, let's imagine that the kid is severely underweight. Are we going to say that that's the parent's fault? Barring medical exemptions. Right, right, right. So, but I think that that's a no, really no, good point. They just answer the question. If a kid's severely underweight and they don't have some kind of like weird medical condition, would we say that a kid being yeah, severely underweight is the parent's fault? Yeah, why are you not feeding this kid? I think is, is what most people would ask. You, this kid needs to eat some food. He's going to be malnourished. Uh, he's not going to grow correctly. I, I would agree. So, if we can do it one way, why can't we do it the other and say, you're giving your kid access to too many foods with low nutrition and high calories that are high in sugar and high in fat, and the kid is overweight, and this is going to cause health problems down the line. It's arguably as bad or worse than being underweight. Yeah, uh, arguably, arguably worse. I, I think, uh, and and I don't know the science on it, but if you see a kid that looks like they're starving, then you're going to say, "Why isn't the parent feeding this kid?" But, but I, I think we both agree, and we disagree with the author that that a child's body size is within the control of the parents to a great degree. Not yeah. not to not you know one hundred percent. Maybe it's, I would say to the 70, 70th percent. Sure. Um, all right. Next is she's upset that fertility clinics have BMI cutoffs, uh, and she's saying that science doesn't support that. Uh, and, and this, and and then she goes on to say that uh, you know just because uh, heavier people have a difficult, more difficult time, and effectively a lower rate of fertility, that they uh, they have cutoffs. Well. And that it's not necessarily unhealthy for larger people to to carry pregnancy, but I think that the that was kind of uh, if she's saying that larger people can't carry babies and and lose more babies, then I think she's kind of answering her own question basically. Or, or she's, well, here's uh, the thing: counteracting the point that she's making. I think the reason why a fertility clinic would have a BMI cutoff is. And, and you can ask any surgeon this. Um, operate like operating on a fat person, on an obese person, 
is far more difficult than operating on a person that is normal weight because you have a tremendous amount of vascular tissue that you need to cut through to get to whatever you're operating on on an obese person that just doesn't exist on a normal weight person. And so like pregnancy is an inherently dangerous thing at any weight whatsoever. It's inherently dangerous. And so if there are any complications during that pregnancy, if you were obese, you're going to have a much harder time treating them. And so the fertility clinics are kind of hedging that risk and saying, if you're above a certain BMI, this is too risky for us to allow you to do because if we help you get pregnant and then there are complications, then you might turn around and sue us and say it was medically irresponsible for us to let you get pregnant when all these risks were present. I mean, I, I think also fertility clinics have one goal, and that's to have more fertile people have more children. So I, I, th I don't think that they're working. I don't think that, that they're just against larger people or an obese people. I think, I think the health effects are their primary concern. And she's saying that the science doesn't support that, but I don't know where she's getting her science or just ignorance to science. Uh, let's see. Uh, so Deanna Erez Ortiz says, sometimes it's completely genetic. I have a friend who's five foot three and eats almost double the amount of calories I do and is, is significantly skinnier than me. So like, we're not talking about whether like, whether not genetics play a role, they certainly do. However, if you look at trends over the last 40 years, you can see that across, like on a population level, overweight and obese people have drastically grown in proportion to, to normal weight people. And genetics just don't change that fast. So yes, there, you can have individual examples of genetically predisposed to a higher or lower metabolism, but on a population level, genetics have not changed significantly in 40 years, yet the statistics of incidence of overweight and obese people very much have. So, and just to reiterate, what, you, what you're saying is that overweight people have increased over the last 40 years and genetics feasibly cannot change that quickly. No, several, not nowhere near. It takes, at minimum, several generations and oftentimes hundreds of generations for genetics to change that much. Yeah, in a meaningful way, yeah. Um, so so let's, uh, let's look um, at this. One, uh, can I hit the next one or you wanted to add something else or hit a comment? Mm, no. Okay. Um, no, I better not. Okay. Uh, next up is one in five children from a, and this is a wide range from age two to nineteen are affected by obesity, and that percentage went up during coronavirus. I thought that that was a very telling sign that weights went up during coronavirus when everybody was locked inside, and even though coronavirus hasn't been known to transmit outside, uh, uh, we locked people in in closed parks and closed beaches. Uh, well, I think it was more like you just don't want to have people interacting with strangers. Yeah, I, I get it, but again, we hadn't hadn't seen any cases of it uh, uh, being transmitted outdoors. Uh, next up is thin privilege. 
on. Uh, uh, and again, says, you know, this is. I want to hit this comment about pregnancy. Lisa says it's not only dangerous for the mother, but for the baby as well to be in the womb of an overweight person because the health conditions that develop, such as preeclampsia and gestational diabetes. So I don't know too much about that, but I'm going to trust that Lisa has done some research on that. Like preeclampsia is, I think that's something that affects the mother where like the mother can have seizures and gestational diabetes. So like if, if the mother is not eating well, and has poor nutrition. I think well, that's shared with the Lisa developing baby. The what? I think I think Lisa works in the medical field. I uh, I could be wrong. I'm sure she'll let us know. And again, we're not. We're, I don't. I want to make it very clear that we're not overweight or obese people. I just think that we're we're attempting to again. To, you know, and I prefaced with this, but we're just attempting to have a conversation. And this article, we're just kind of following the points well, of. One article. That's all. And we can, you know, if we have time left after we discuss this article, we can expand on a little bit, maybe discuss our own opinions a little bit more. But right now we're discussing pregnancy. We're discussing whether a child's body weight is the responsibility of the parents or not. And if then who? And now we're about to talk about uh, thin privilege. And oh, this ticks me off. What she says is that thin people can walk into a store and find clothes while large people can't. And First look, of all, that's bullshit. Well, also, thin people oftentimes can't walk into stores and buy stuff because they are too thin for a lot of the clothes. The issue, things just like a car, they are built to the 95th percentile. It's, it's ergonomics. It's built to fit the most people possible which means that people on either end of the spectrum are going to be uncomfortable. And if you are on the far ends of the spectrum, you may not be able to ride. Just like when they build a roller coaster and it says you have to be 48 inches tall to join this roller coaster. It's not because they don't like short people. It's because short people, the roller coaster is only built one way. Okay. It's like if now, you want to go skydiving, if you want to go skydiving, there's a weight limit. Not because they don't want fat people to go skydiving it's because above a certain weight the parachute won't fucking work so uh the uh the difference is clothes can be made to fit more people but the issue is that you have to produce clothes that sell and you know a lot of a lot of places have expanded their clothing lineup or you can go to a store that specializes in it well, but I, I think the argument would be that that uh, thin people have privilege that they can shop at most stores, uh, and that the fashion, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not quite as fashionable at at some of the stores that are well, made. You should really just call it center of the bell curve privilege. But that's but that's what it is. It's, it's it's center of the bell curve. And by the way, that's changing. I I bought a whole bunch of shirts from uh, shirts and underwear. By the way from Uniqlo. And when I buy clothes, we were literally having this conversation right before we got on air. Rosh just said to me, oh, I see you're wearing the same thing that you were wearing last episode, which by the way, is very difficult when I edit episodes because I can never tell which, <laughs> which video is which episode. Luckily, James, you change your clothes, but I do wear the same thing every day. And I happened to one year buy 15 shirts and 15 pairs of underwear from Uniqlo. And then a year later, I was in Japan. And I saw the same stuff. I didn't try it on. I just bought another 10 pairs because it was way cheaper in Japan because Uniqlo is a Japanese company. When yeah, I went you bought home, Asian sizes. Exactly. When I went home and went to try this stuff on, it was literally half the size of American stuff. 
So I will tell you one thing, that the brands are accounting for larger people. It's just that they're, they can only account for so many people, right? You can't, you have to have clothes that will sell. So we're moving in that direction. We're definitely moving in that direction where we're accounting for larger people, but only to so much of an extent. And and just like you, you like, look, if you made a car to fit small people and big people, how, how would that work? Well, the seat slide. The, the seat goes back and forth. That's for well, sure. Let me tell you something. So when I had the Miata, right? Mm-hmm. Tiny car. So I had the, the seat in the Miata slammed all the way back. Because at yeah, six com- foot tall, like that was how far back I needed to be able to like comfortably operate the pedals. Like if I was six foot six, I don't know if I could have driven the Miata. I I I can't hear. After you got to pause. I don't know if you got me. I can't. Oh yeah, your your internet's bad. But yeah, all right. I was talking about having the Miata and how I had to have the seat all the way back. It's just because it was a small car, like, and like. Here's the one that really bothers me. And they talk about sitting on an airplane and being able to buckle the seatbelt. So, like, if you're so fat that you can't buckle an airplane seatbelt, like, that should be a wake-up call. That, hey, maybe I need to do something about my health. And, or maybe you have to buy two seats. And I don't feel bad about people uh, having again, to buy two seats if they're too big. Up. You're breaking up. You're breaking up quite a bit here. I don't know what I could change that. Oh, that's uh, better now, but it's spotty. Uh, it's so your could, connection. I literally missed everything that you just said about um, about the Miata and about airplane seatbelts. All right, so I'm just going to talk about the airplane seatbelts. I would <laughs> first of all, you know how like when was the last time you were on an airplane? Um, two months ago, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So April. Like, when you tighten the seatbelt to be, you know, snug on your waist, how much extra material was there when you were done tightening the seatbelt? A foot? Uh, maybe maybe 10 inches or so. I'm not as thin okay. as you are. Like, I, I would say if you can't tighten the seatbelt in an airplane seat, that should be a wake-up call of, hey, maybe I need to address something. Or maybe you buy two seats. And I don't feel bad at all for someone that has to buy two seats because like well, an airplane, I, I, what, I, I, what is an airplane selling? Effectively, they're selling space. They're selling space on that airplane for you. And if you're so fat that you take up somebody else's space because you're sliding over the, 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 the armrest in your chair, then you're taking away space that somebody else paid for. But, but we pay for space all over the place, right? Like if, if you're if you're driving a tractor trailer or an RV and you go through a toll booth, you pay per axle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think any other form of travel should be should be any different. Um, you know, it's and, we, I, and look, large people. We're not and again large and, and obese. This is we're kind of drawing a bit of a line here, but. I, I get not being happy with the space on airplane seats, but it's not just you. You know, I'm not, I'm much bigger than James, but when I get on a plane, 
it sucks entirely the almost the all the time unless i upgrade to uh business class or fake first class um uh, you know, I'll, so I'll say it even sucks for me because i'm a little bit taller it, than but, you you know but yeah i'm saying like even for me being Again, in like a coach class talking. airplane seat you can't hear me can you hear me now anything you, yeah Okay, yeah, I'm saying that even for me being thinner than you are and, like, sitting in a, in a coach seat, airplane seat, is really uncomfortable because I'm a little bit taller than you, so I'm fucking cramped too. Like, it sucks for everybody, but it sucks even more if I get sat next to somebody that's, like, taking up one and a half seats. Um, yeah, I... It's, you know, it's a difficult... It's a, it's a difficult conversation to have, you know? I, I, I want... Everybody be comfortable, um, but 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 arguably not to the discomfort then of someone else. Uh, and I'm I haven't assigned fault on why someone's overweight. I'm not. I, I don't think at any point that you know you and I have have said to each other, an overweight person can only blame themselves uh, and and shame on them. I don't think we're saying that. I think we're just having a conversation about just like we did about trans when we're doing our best to have this conversation just about kind of the reality of the situation. Um, there's also, so you mentioned plane seats, but someone complaining about restaurant booths being too small. Now, I bet again, they're not too small at the Cheesecake Factory. It, uh, I'm sure they're not. Cheesecake Factory is a, a, a huge, the calorie, a plate at the Cheesecake Factory could be 3,000 calories. Oh, easily. Uh, and I wouldn't and, be surprised if you couldn't down ten thousand dollars, ten thousand calories in a, at a meal in, in Cheesecake Factory. Not that I've ever been. Never, I've been to Cheesecake Factory maybe three or four times. Um, I I was very much overwhelmed. I would you know I'm, I'm not a big fan of chain restaurants, but I would much rather go to an Applebee's than a than a Cheesecake Factory. Really, um, they're that bad. But they're just not that good. The food's not that good. Um, and there's one. I think there's one in. The mall that I have has a bunch of really lousy kind of chain restaurants in it, um, but uh, but the question is, imagine and just God, this is such a tough conversation to have. Take a very large obese person, put them at a restaurant booth, okay, and space the that table and chair whatever distance they have to be apart from each other. And now I want you to place every other table and chair, and now I want you to affix the booths and the tables to the floor, just like in any other restaurant. You can't move the booths, the booth seats. They're just locked in place. Now I want you to take an average person and picture that person at that booth. They, how, where are they fitting? Yeah, they, how are they sitting at, at that table? So the issue is just that you, we can't build everything for everyone. And this goes back to an, a certain acceptance level. Now, we do have, but also, by the way, uh, people in wheelchairs aren't accommodated for in this scenario. So, you know, we uh, having a, a, we could, and I might be behind this, legislating a certain, uh, especially for chain restaurants, uh, maybe not so much mom and pops, but legislating that a certain number of tables have to be wheelchair or d disabled accessible. Well, pretty much all tables are. I mean, it's a table, but not the ones that are affixed in a booth, right? Like that, that could be a little tougher. But, but I don't think that, and, and what I'm getting at is I don't think that the, the world is designed against 
overweight and obese people because because they hate overweight and obese people. I just think just that just kind of intrinsically, you you design it for the most people possible. Well, yeah, and you know what? I am going to say this like at a certain level, and I'm not going to say where the line is because I don't actually know. But at a certain level of overweight or obesity. With the exception of certain medical conditions that are pretty rare, the, the, the vast majority of cases, if someone is obese, it is their fault to a large degree. Well, I think, I think that's what we ignore a lot is that we, we don't what, here's the issue is that we're not we're, we've completely erased the accountability factor of being overweight. That's like, I'm not saying that there are other factors that are, that are causing people to be overweight and that literally the world is out to get them. But what I'm saying is that having a conversation where we completely ignore the personal accountability factor and literally the next sentence, I just want to finish this article. I'll, I'll read you the next sentence. And I think it speaks exactly to what I'm saying. What the author says, and I'll, I'll repeat the author's name, Virginia Soul Smith uh, of the Burnt Toast podcast. What she says is, she doesn't think people should say things like junk food or bad food or garbage or even real fur, real fur. They should, people shouldn't say real food versus treats, that it's all real food, that treats are also part of a meal, which I mean, seems there, there, there's some truth and, to and that. that is like, it, like you could have a dessert as part of a meal, but it's recognizing that some foods are going to have more of an effect on your weight than others that like to, to ignore so, that fact is just dangerous. But, and, and I think this person is such on the extreme end and, and it's wild that this person would be showcased on fresh air on NPR because NPR seems to be taking this ever so left well, perspective on well, everything. Th there's some they things in, like, some in the interview. She made some points that were actually reasonable that like this article doesn't touch on. And she talked about a study where they had um, like two groups of kids, right? And the meal was some kind of a soup and then a dessert. And in group one, the kids were told, you have to finish your soup before you can have the dessert. And in group two, the kids were allowed to have as much of the soup as they wanted, and then they could have as much of the dessert as they wanted. And what they found was that the kids who weren't told you must finish your soup actually had more of the soup because they weren't being forced to do it. And so, like, there, there's a, a certain behavioral aspect here where, like, legislating things too hard, mandating things to kids too much, we, like, kids are kind of naturally defiant. And so, like, you have to play some reverse psychology with kids a little bit and just saying, like, you can you must finish all of your vegetables before you can have dessert. Well, what if they're not super hungry and they, they only eat half their vegetables? Like, let them have a little bit of dessert. That's not harmful. But letting kids eat exclusively dessert and saying, well, it's food. It's like there's no such thing as bad food. So they can just have, they can just have Cheetos and ice cream all the time. That's irresponsible. But, but yeah, well, and that's wait until we get to the next paragraph. Um, but I've always thought it was funny that we said you must consume all of the food, meaning all of the calories on your plate, and then you can have dessert. I always thought it was a funny approach to parenting. Well, yeah, it is. So, um, all right. So the, the last thing that she says is, 
If you start to take a more relaxed approach and let these foods be part of your family's life, make sure your kids have regular access to them and you don't judge how many cookies they take, you let it play out. You will see that these foods become your, uh, th these foods are foods your kids can enjoy, but in a less, much less fraught way. You'll find there are some that they actually don't even like that much. Uh, and they're leaving a few left in the bag in the pantry and they're not touching it for several weeks. Uh, or they might be excited to see it a few days after the novelty wears off. Uh, it's a completely different way of engaging with food. I think that's one of the pieces uh, of this that feels the most radical to a lot of folks. It's a level of permission we've never given ourselves. But I think here's the issue, is that if you just have Oreos available all the time and soda available all the time, and you don't say anything to your kids like this is worse for you than drinking milk or drinking water, uh, that the kids aren't going to learn that Oreos are not, should not replace a meal. I think they're, she's saying, she's taking such, she's actually taking a radical approach. Well, what she's and, doing, and, she's equivocating. Because, like, kids, by their very nature, lack the self-control that adults have. And so if you make these foods kind of freely available, like the kids might just only eat those and never develop a palate for more nutritious food. And so you, like, if you want, like, I don't have an issue with making these foods freely available to kids. Like if you have a house and you've got like Oreos and all sorts of other like kind of junk food around and letting the kids have free access to it, fine. But it has to come with education to the kids about what some, what's nutrition and what effect different foods will have on your body. And you can do that at any age. But I think, I think that's what it comes down to is an awareness of nutrition and how, that it, how it works. And, how and she says you can't say there's good foods and bad foods and real foods and treats. But I think you definitely there are. But I think that your body responds very differently to different types of foods. I mean, just think about how your body responds to meat and vegetables versus sugary, starchy foods. Well, you, like so, you can, this is something that you can measure. Like you can do blood tests and see the insulin response based on what kind of food you ate. Right. Your body has a very different reaction to different foods and for a reason. But here's my point, and this is why I wanted to bring this up in this episode: is that no one else, except very specialty very niched uh, podcasts or whatever are having conversations about this. No one else is having a conversation about food. In my office all the time, we're talking about healthy foods and things like that. I don't see that playing out on, a, on, a, on a, any public platforms. And it's not good. And I just wanted, I wanted this podcast to address healthy foods and obesity in a supportive way a non-discriminatory way, and and just to be introducing that topic, you know, not not everybody else is having it, and I think that it's a good thing that we did. What are your thoughts? We got ninety seconds left. I just, yeah, it's something that there's so much bullshit flying around on both sides of this one that it's hard to have an honest conversation because there are points that you're going to make that are going to piss off both sides that are correct. And the fat acceptance movement is just normalizing unhealthy behavior. But on the other side of the, the, the argument, 
like trying to shame fat people doesn't work. And so like criticizing people for being fat as a complete moral failing isn't going to accomplish the goal that you think you're going to have. And so you, it, it, it comes down to, you, you have to encourage people to make good choices. And, and that comes through education of letting them understand Cause there's lots of people I know that like are somewhat clueless about what the foods they're doing, like eating are actually doing to their body. Well said. Thank you very much for joining. This is the end of the episode. We will see you guys next time. Adios. All right, that concludes this episode. Let me know how we did. Did we piss anybody off? Did we piss you off? Um, did we follow that center line right down the line? Yeah, I don't know, but uh, I'm curious your opinion. Let me know in the comments. I like PBR, I just got priced out of it.